0: Everybody here has setbacks. Everybody here has difficulties. And we're not to lose heart when those things happen. But we're also not supposed to live life for self. We are here for a purpose. We're here to serve the one and true living God. We are to fulfill His work on this earth. That is not just for pastors. That's not just for elders. As for every single Christian, you have a work that God wants you to do. If that were not so, then Paul would not have recorded to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. This is God's plan. This is God's way, is that everyone who comes to saving faith in Christ, who understands the gospel, is now called to go and share the gospel, is now called to use their gifts for the edification of God's church. That's every one of us. And so I can confidently say that today's message is for everybody here who is saved. Amen. All right. Well... Before we get into the word, I want to pray. Um, I think the prayer is going to be twofold. First, I want to pray for those in our body who are facing difficulties. Uh, I know of one member of our flock who will be traveling over to Tampa tomorrow, or on yeah tomorrow, or this mo- actually this evening, and having a procedure tomorrow morning at the Moffitt Center. Uh, and then I also know of, uh, a member of our church who's going to get a biopsy report, the report coming out of a biopsy on Tuesday. I know we have families that are facing trial, sickness, and other types of issues going on. So I want to pray for this body. I think it's important that we all share together in that. And then I'd like to pray for, um, Pray for Christians across this nation who are not discerning the truth of God and making choices. They're they're making choices that if they truly knew the word or if they were discerning of situations, they would track differently. Praying for a nation that is being led down a path of destruction. Praying for leaders of our nation who some are unknowingly following in that path. Others are very much aware of the path that they're on. And it's disheartening. It's disheartening. I, I'm not, I'm, this is, we don't use the pulpit for political reasons. That's not why we're here. We're here for the glorification of God. But the Bible clearly tells us that when there are things that can knock us off course or lead us astray, we should address those things. Um, on, on March 31st, it was actually the uh, national or international Transgender Day Invisibility. And, and our president said this, to everyone celebrating Transgender Day of Visibility, I want you to know that your president sees you. Jill, Kamala, Doug, our entire administration sees you. For who you are, made in the image of God and deserving of dignity, respect, and support. The, the concern there is he is quoting half of a bible verse. If I were to take you to that bible verse in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, here's what it says. So God created man in his own image. So he got that right. Every human being is created in the image of God and is deserving of our respect. But listen to the rest of the verse. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And and I'm just telling you right now, that is what leads to someone going into a cult where someone gives you a portion of Scripture but not the whole Scripture. I I have to be very careful as a shepherd of this flock not to present to you a half-truth not to to lapse into some form of falsehood because I'm not accurately dividing the word of truth. You should be concerned about that. You you, you don't want to be in a church where the pastor doesn't care about that, doesn't pay attention to the truth that he's teaching. And we're going to try and be accurate today in the text. But let's pray. I just want to pray. I, I feel like that's the greatest thing we can do. Uh, is pray for those who are hurting and pray for uh, people and our our leaders. They need our prayers. Father, we come before you this morning and we do give thanks for the privilege, and it is a privilege to be a Christian. Uh, Christianity is is known by many as so many different things. It is just It's so watered down, but Lord, what you designed us to be in you through Christ is very specific and very real and very much fulfilling. But that doesn't mean, Lord, we don't face trials and difficulties. And Lord, uh, we have those in our body who are facing these trials this week. We lift them up to you. We pray that you would come near. Jesus, you said, cast your cares upon me for I careth for you. You clearly told us that if we are heavy laden with a burden, that we can look to you and we can hand over that burden and you would give us, instead of carrying our yoke, you would give us your yoke because you said my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So may they make that transfer in their heart and in their mind that that what they're facing, they give it over to you and that you would give them your yoke of peace of, of rest, of contentment, and knowing that their God loves them and that you're working in their behalf. And Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray that spiritual discernment would rise in the minds and the hearts of Christians all over the land, that we would be able to de- discern between what is of God and what is of man, even though both call it Christian, that we would have leaders, Lord, that you would convict them, as the scripture says, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That they would see you for who you are, not what they want you to be. That we would have people in this nation who would begin to come into the truth and the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus, not for what they want it to be, but for what it is. May we be true as a church in sharing that, communicating it clearly, so that we don't lead people into falsehood, into Uh, half-truths. And we just give you the praise and honor that today we have this privilege of of not only praying, but of studying your word. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what he said, and that's exactly what Jesus did. When God says it, believe me, it's gonna happen. It might not happen when you think it'll happen, but it will happen. And so now in the book of Acts, in chapter 13, we've come a long way. First, we looked back in chapter 5 at the early church, which was being accused of filling all of Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? What an indictment on the church, the early church, when they were meeting in Jerusalem and they were brought before the Jerusalem Council of Jews, and the Jews said, You have turned this city upside down with the gospel. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 8, revival breaks out in Samaria of all places. The Jews hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans hated the Jews the Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breeds, half-Jew and half-Gentile. And there was no love between them. And yet, Philip goes to Samaria, preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Samaritans and Jews are getting saved. A beautiful picture here. And now we come to chapter 13. So already the gospel has spread from Ju- Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria. And now in chapter 13, we see the launch of the church reaching the Gentile world, the rest of the earth. It started right here in Acts 13 in a city called Antioch in Syria. Obviously, if that mission that Jesus gave was to go into the uttermost parts of the world with the gospel, then that should begin somewhere in the world, not in Jerusalem. And it did in in Antioch in Syria. Now, let's take a step back and look at the overview of Acts For where we are today, this is a transitional Sunday in our text. The first 12 chapters of the book of Acts focus on Peter and his ministry, okay? The remaining chapters from here forward is the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Peter in the first 12, and now the Apostle Paul through the remainder of of the, the book. And here in Acts 13, we see the final phase of Jesus' words, and so Paul is going to take this gospel to the world. See, Peter's message was to the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. Paul's message is to the rest of the world. Now, verse 1, now there were in the church at Antioch, again, that's in Syria, that would be northeast of Jerusalem, quite a distance, okay, like five days' journey north. Uh, by walking, <clears throat> and so, so here we see there was uh, they were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, uh, prophets and teachers had a significant role, especially during the time of the apostles. They were preachers of God's word, and they were responsible in the early church uh, for instructing congregations in the word of God. They, these guys were the ones who taught the Old Testament. But bringing Christ to light in the Old Testament. So, this was a fresh new teaching coming from a book that the, or from the Old Testament, which the Jews knew very well. Now they're going to the Gentile world with the gospel. Okay? Uh, Interestingly enough, pastors and teachers uh, today teach and train the body to be unified as one and then to, to grow and go into the world and preach the gospel. So when we gather on Sundays and we gather on Wednesday nights or any other time, men's ministry, women's ministry, for Bible study, the teaching is to prepare you, the body, to do ministry in the world. It is not for you to receive something so that you can go home fat and happy in the Lord. It's not about your spiritual, let me just get bigger and bigger, and what I know, it's about what are you doing and know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and know how to communicate it. We're, we're teaching you so that you can use this in the world. So <clears throat> here it says that they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, now he tells us who the leadership, the spiritual leaders are of this church up in Antioch. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger or Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen who was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you have these gentlemen. Interestingly enough, they're all from different places. They're not from the same hometown. They're not from Antioch. God has brought them to Antioch from different directions. And they are serving in spiritual leadership of a church, a Gentile church, but also with Jews. See, in the Gentile world... If you had 10 Jews that lived in that city, then that was, that's what you had to have in order to build a synagogue. So they were meeting at synagogues in these Gentile cities, first to speak to the Jews about Jesus, and then they would branch out and share with the Gentiles. And so the church was formed up in Antioch, and it's all kinds of people, Gentile and Jew, who are in spiritual leadership together. What a beautiful picture. This whole idea that we are to divide and separate people by color, by socioeconomic means, is nothing but a work of the enemy. That should never be the case. If you are saved, the gospel has set you free from those kind of distinctions, those kinds of things that divide us. We are supposed to be one in Jesus Christ, all people, all kinds of people. Uh, when I first moved up here from, from Palm Beach Gardens, Rainey and I, uh, we loved South Florida. People would say to us, Oh, I'll bet you're glad to be out of there. And I know what they're saying, because you know, South Florida is a very busy place, a lot of traffic and all of that. Gardens not so much at that time, like further south, Lake Worth and even South. But but we loved South Florida. Now, I'm glad I love Vero, too. I'm glad I'm here. This is where the Lord wants us, and we love it. But I love that. Why? The diversity. Are you kidding? I could go out and have Cuban food. The real stuff. I mean, it was good. I I love the various cultures. I learned so much from different kinds of people. We even had an international Sunday. Everybody in our church from different nations brought a food to this service that day. And after church, we had a huge hoedown, man. I mean, we just, we ate some food now from different nations all over the globe that were represented. It was beautiful. I love that. That's the church. There's no such thing as a white church. There's no such thing as a black church. No such thing as an Asian church. That is the work of the enemy, to divide us. God has saved us the same way. Listen, if I had an accident and needed a blood transfusion, I'm not going to say, well, make sure it's a white person. God didn't put different blood types in different cultures or different types of people. We all have the same blood. I just want the blood that I'm supposed to have. I don't care what color you are. That's the way God's designed us, not only spiritually but even physically. Oh, how we should walk in that church. I don't know if I'll even get through this sermon today. I just, man, I'm just, I'm so thankful for the truth that God has revealed to me personally that I can be set free from these groupings and categories of man. And it breaks my heart to see people living under that bondage. care who you are, I don't care what color you are. It breaks my heart. So, so, interestingly here, we actually have further record of these men who are leading the church in Antioch. And go back in your Bible real quick. Acts chapter 11, and let's look at verse 19. Acts eleven nineteen. 19. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. That's the Antioch in Syria that we're talking about today. What were they doing? They were speaking the word to no one except Jews. So, because of the work of Philip and Samaria and other places, people were getting saved, and God began to call some of these who were saved. Listen, these are not apostles. These are not the 12 disciples. These are the common people that Philip shared Christ with, and they got saved. And now God's taking those common people, and he's sending them out to minister. But listen to what it says, verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. They didn't just come and speak to the Jews in the synagogue in Antioch. They actually began to speak to Jews who practiced the customs of the Greeks. They spoke Greek. They were very engaged in the Greek culture, even though they were Jews. They reached out to them, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay, so now you have Barnabas coming to Antioch, which is what we read in Acts 13. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I pray that if, if, if Barnabas came to Viral Bible Fellowship, he would be glad over what he sees. I, I, I pray that. He, he goes on. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man full of the holy spirit and of faith and a great many people who were added to the and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus. So he goes up there to Antioch in Syria. He sees this great work of God going on that was being conducted by ordinary common Christians and this explosion of excitement over the gospel. He gets so excited, he sees the number of people up there, and he knows they need good teaching. These people need to grow. So what does he do? He leaves Antioch, and he goes to Tarsus looking for Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch. And we've talked about that before. This is not a this was not a celebrated thing. This was not a badge on your chest in the sense that, oh, now they recognize us as Christians. No, this was actually, this came about. They called them Christians. Who? Who's they? The people who did not believe. Other Jews and Gentiles that did not receive the gospel. They, it was supposed to mock them. You know what Christian means? Little Christ. Look at these little Christs running around over here. It was supposed to be a joke, but yet that's where they were first called Christians. So, let's look more closely at these men who are leading the church in Antioch that we read about in Acts 13. You have Barnabas, who is the, his name means the son of consolation. Remember, he took Saul under his wings when he returned to Jerusalem, after Saul was converted on the road to Damascus and he comes back to Jerusalem, the disciples were like, eh, I don't know, man. I don't know if this guy really got it. And so Barnabas comes along Saul and he says to the disciples, I was there, I witnessed, I saw the work that this man did up in Damascus. People were getting saved. He was preaching the whole counsel of God. And the disciples welcomed him in because of Barnabas. Oh, how we need in our church... Those who console, those who encourage, those who come alongside you, and they befriend you, and they pray for you, and they believe in the work that God is doing through you. This was Barnabas. Simeon, who was called Niger, or Niger. Niger means black. So, Simeon was most likely a black African. African. So, you've got Barnabas, who's from the island off the coast of the Mediterranean, in the the Mediterranean Sea of Cyprus. And now you've you've got a black man from Africa who's in leadership. And it's plausible that he was the same Simon who carried the cross of Jesus when he was crucified. Let me read the passage for you. or Let me just give it to you for sake of time. Luke 23, 26. Okay, I'll read it. Thanks. I'll do that for you. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, an African, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Now, we don't know for sure that it's the same guy, but it's plausible. Okay? Then the next guy is Lucius of Cyrene. Okay? So, if the the African gentleman from Cyrene who carried the cross knew Lucius, he probably went back to Africa after that experience in Jerusalem, being changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, hearing Jesus say to a thief next to him on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And now he goes back to Africa, and he shares the gospel in Africa. And now a man named Lucius comes over and travels up into Syria sharing the gospel of Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but it is plausible. This is how the gospel spread. One person at a time sharing the good news, loving people, helping them understand the truth of the gospel... And then moving on and talking to others. And then those individuals would go and start talking to people. And the gospel is now so many people, they just say multitudes were getting saved. This is how it happens. This is how it ought to be happening in Vero Beach, in Indian River County, and beyond. It should not be that it's happening because churches have great marketing skills, they have great sales pitches, and they have advertising campaigns. It should happen because believers sitting in churches and believers of our community are sharing the gospel of Jesus. If it happened, literally, we would take this county by storm. The Spirit of the living God would so move in the hearts of people. There would be an uprising of excitement and enthusiasm as people's lives are being changed and transformed. People repenting of sin, coming clean with God, and now being filled with the Holy Spirit and going out and sharing with others. You you would never be able to stop it, just like they couldn't stop it here. The only ones who can stop that are the people themselves that stop relying upon the Spirit that now resides inside. And to be honest with you, I'm I'm fearful that in most churches... Most believers sitting in the pew chair are resisting the work of the Spirit, not participating in the plan that God has to reach the world. The question has to be asked, is that person sitting in your pew chair? This is not just some cute little sermon. There's nothing cute about it. It This is serious stuff we have to contend with. We either belong to Christ or we don't. And if we belong to Christ, we got to be sharing the gospel with people. You go to the next guy, you talk about a work of God. Man, oh man, this is exciting. Manan grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. Are you kidding me? He's the the stepbrother of Herod the Tetrarch. This was the same Herod who beheaded John the Baptist and presided over one of Jesus' trials. Herod and Manan grew up together but went very different ways in life, coming out of the same home, and one goes out and lives for evil, and the other is saved miraculously by the grace of God, and now he's a leader in a church in Syria. Wow. What God can do. I don't That... That tells me that no one here has an excuse because of your past. No one here has an excuse why you're not serving the living God. If a man can be raised in a home of dysfunction and evil and come out to be a believer in Jesus and go and travel and share the gospel and be part of a spiritual leadership team of a local church, God can do it in you too. We're talking about being raised in a home with a guy who went out and killed John the Baptist and presided over one of the trials of Jesus. The other became a Christian and a leader in a dynamic congregation. And then you have Saul. We don't need to go into that in detail. We've already covered Saul in detail. But later in this chapter, we're going to see that Saul begins going by his Roman name Paul. The name Saul means Listen, requested one. Did you know that? The Jewish name, Saul, means requested one. Remember when they were stoning Stephen to death and young Saul was there? And then when there was an uprising and the Christians were changing Jerusalem, they called for Saul to come and to begin persecuting Christians. The requested one. Another way to say it, would be that Saul was in demand. This man is in demand as Saul. But his Roman name is Paul, which means little. Interesting. The man in demand becomes little. Something happened to Saul when he converted to Christ. No longer did he refer to himself as Saul, the requested one. He no longer was the man in demand. Now he preferred to be called little. What's the significance behind that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 9, Paul said, "This is after his salvation, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm the least." I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Later in his ministry, in Ephesians 3 8, he said, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. So, first, I'm the least of the apostles, the spiritual leaders of God's church, and now I see myself as the least of all the Christians. What did he say? This grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, but I'm the least of everybody. If anybody, if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> and then closer to the end of his ministry, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I'm the least among the apostles, I'm the least among all Christians, and I am the foremost of all sinners. I'm the chief of all sinners. This man had a very humble, broken spirit as he ministered before the Lord. Interestingly enough, the closer he grew to God, the less he thought of himself. Wasn't it the John the Baptist who said, I must decrease that he might increase? The more we know Jesus, the more we serve Jesus, the longer we serve Jesus, we ought to be going down, not up. God is changing us, humbling us, breaking us. Why? Because without humility and brokenness, church, you would never serve the way God's called you to serve. And maybe that's why some of us in this room are not serving, we're not sharing the gospel. Because we've not been growing closer to God. We're not becoming smaller. Maybe some of us are even becoming larger as we amass money, as we have gained popularity in the community, as we are well-respected in the circles that we hang in. Listen, I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but if it's keeping you from being spiritually bankrupt then you will not serve the Lord the way God's called you. That's a guarantee. Make sense? Can we amen that? Because it's the truth. It's not what I'm saying. It's what the Scripture is teaching us here. This is what the Scripture says. Remember the Pharisee on the street, and he looks over at the, at the center. He looks over at this man who's a tax collector, wicked guy. And he says, Father, he prays out loud, Father, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. And then it pans over, Jesus pans over to the sinner. The and he says, he's kneeled over, his head is down. He can't even lift his head, his head to heaven. And he's beating his chest and he says, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one left that day justified? The one who was ready to serve the Lord, the one who was completely forgiven of his sins was the one who was broken, who was humbled that God would love him in spite of his sinfulness. Mm. Verse 2, that was only verse 1. Man, I, I wanted to get down to like verse 13 or 15 today. All right, well. Let's just continue. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." So while they were worshiping the Lord, uh, the Lord and fasting, this is this is a picture church of spiritual leadership at the local level. While they certainly ministered to the congregation and the congregation ministered to the congregation, and you guys do such a great job of that, reaching out, loving one another, helping people in time of need. Yet, they also are seen as spiritual leaders ministering to the Lord. Look what it says again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me. They were ministering to the Lord himself. I want to contend that you can't really minister to others until after you have ministered before the Lord. To minister before the Lord is to pray. To minister before the Lord is to study His Word. To minister before the Lord is to take time to sit quietly and wait for the Holy Spirit just to fill you and and, and love you and just, just receive from the presence of God. Until you have ministered to the Lord... You're not ready, you're not equipped to go and minister to others. This is what the church was doing. The leaders were ministering to the Lord. And if we're not careful in the ministry, we can end up loving the ministry more than we love the Lord who gave us the ministry. Let me just say that again. Those of you who are serving in ministry, it's possible. If Satan cannot get you to stop serving the Lord, you're committed to it, you love it, you are serving. But then He will try to get you to overcommit and love the ministry that God gave you more than you actually love God Himself. You say, how's that possible? Are you in prayer? Are you in the Word? Or are you just doing things for God? God wants us to love Him first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It doesn't say love your ministry with all your heart, soul. We need to be careful there. They were also fasting. They were probably fasting because they sensed a need to ask God for special power, special move in order to reach the lost world with the gospel. That was the mission before them. That's what Jesus said. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So now they're even taking time to fast over that very need Lord, we are so ill-equipped to reach the world with the gospel, we are going to dedicate ourselves to you. So they are setting aside. What are they doing when they're fasting? They are actually showing God their dependence upon Him for the mission that Jesus gave them. You might want to write this down, but uh, Alistair Begg said, I, I, I heard him say this at a conference. He said, prayerlessness is a declaration of disobedience to God. I'm sorry, of independence from God. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God. When a Christian doesn't pray, you are actually saying to God, I really don't need you. And if I get into a bind, then I'll call on you for some help. And a lot of us live our lives that way. We should be praying constantly without... Paul said, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you walk around with your eyes closed all day, you know, bumping into things because you're praying. It means that you are in this attitude of constant reminder that God is with me, God is in me, God is using me, God wants me to do things today. Therefore, I constantly stay in this attitude of communion with God. I'm open to whatever He wants me to do. That's what it means to pray. Pray continually that's what god wants from us in the church today many believers look more like backseat drivers when it comes to god's work they say i'll carry the burden and jesus you do the work or brother you do the work i'll just carry the burden for you no 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 listen god's typical way of working is to send the people who have the burden to do the work if you're burdened with something, he's not wanting you to sit back and call and pray for somebody else to go do it. He wants you to do it. Get involved. Don't just be concerned about feeding poor people. Go feed poor people. Amen? Make sense? It's what the Bible's teaching us here today. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God has a work for us. He was very specific in the work that he gave Saul and Barnabas, and that was part of the apostolic movement at that time. We're beyond that now. Now, the whole world, the gospel's being shared everywhere. But it's being shared by us, not by the apostles. They're gone. Now it's our turn. And God is calling you to the work, He's not calling you to be burdened only. When a missionary comes and speaks, and we've had several wonderful missionaries visit our church and share, and the stories are incredible, you're not to go home and just be burdened and pray for them and send them money. Somehow, let the Spirit of the living God move in you and go out and start sharing yourself. It ought to compel you to be part of what that missionary is doing. I might not be in India. I might not be in in the Middle East, but I'm here, and I can be used to by God. Amen? Amen. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid hands their hands on them and sent them off. This whole work required a substantial dependence on God. So fasting and prayer is the demonstration of that, of that dependence. Again, prayerlessness is a declaration of independence, okay? Notice that at the end of the sentence it says that they sent them off. They were intentionally sent by the church in Antioch. This is the first known missionary calling in the whole bible the first missionary calling in the new testament in the church in the life of the church the word missionary has to do with sending the latin word uh mito means to send by prayer and fasting they sent forth these two missionaries and they did it without a committee report can you believe that They did it without a demographic analysis. They didn't have a marketing survey. They did it without spiritual mapping. They didn't have any tools of man. What they did have was a calling of the Holy Spirit who said, just get out there and go, and I'll guide you as you go. See, that's the problem. We want to know the whole picture before we jump into it. i got to know exactly what you're going to have me do. How long is this going to last? How much is this going to cost me? We've been so Americanized that we can't even serve the gospel. And what we need to do is back off of that and say, Lord, I don't know what you're saying other than you're telling me I need to go out. So, Lord, I'm going to just take step one. And as you take step one, all of a sudden the Spirit takes you to someone and you start talking with them. And then you take another step and something else happens. And as you go, the Spirit begins to reveal to you the work that He has for you. See, listen, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion but neither is he the author of complete comprehension and organization. On the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people got saved, that was the work of the Spirit, and it brought an organized chaos as the church was being launched. Because what are we going to do with 3,000 people? It was not a pretty scene, but they figured it out. Well, we can't meet at the synagogue with 3,000 hey, let's just start taking them into our little homes, and we'll just, yeah, but how do you know that such and such is being cared for, and how do you know, uh, just do your part. Everybody who's saved, do your part to love people, do your part to care for the needs and the people that meet in your home. A bunch of organized chaos led by the Holy Spirit himself. Praise God, let Vero Bible Fellowship be a church of organized chaos, If you think we got to have it all figured out and have it mapped out and have it on a flow chart, you are not in tune with the Spirit of the living God. I'm not against organization. I'm not against systems, except when they hinder and block the work of the Lord. And a lot of times we get so caught up in the analysis paralysis kind of stuff. We do nothing. So being sent out the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, Seleucia, and from there they sailed over to the island of Cyprus. Hey, let let me show you that on the screen just so you have it. We're we're not going to go much further here. Okay, so up here, this is Antioch. Down here, this is Judea. You can see Jerusalem down in the bottom right. I'm sorry if I'm blocking anybody. You got Jerusalem down here. And so this work of God beyond Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Samaria. Samaria would be right in here right up here, right right about in here. So now they've moved the church all the way up to Antioch, okay? And they're sent out, follow the blue line. They first go over to Seleucia. The the reason they went there was because that's the port city of Antioch, about 14 miles from Antioch. So they had to go there to board a ship, and the ship took them over to Cyprus, the third largest island in the Mediterranean Sea. And here they go to Salimus, Okay, Salimus, it's on, the, it's on the west side of the island. And know this, that Cyprus was Barnabas's hometown. So that's why they're going probably to Cyprus. Ultimately, they want to go up into Asia Minor. Well, actually, Asia Minor is up in this area. They're wanting to head up this way. They're going to actually go into what is modern-day Turkey, of all places. Pretty cool, huh? They're going to hit Asia. I mean, they're going to hit all over the place. But this is the first journey. So here they are. They're coming over into Cyprus. That's where they are. And, and it says that uh, being sent by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed over to Cyprus. And when they arrived at uh, Sulamese or Sol- Salemus, however you want to say it, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Now, that's interesting. Salamis was the chief port city of commerce and trade for Cyprus. Okay, that's where they went. And they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue. Again, there must have been 10 Jews living in Salamis. And so they were able to have a synagogue. And that's exactly where Saul and Barnabas went to first when they arrived, straight to the synagogue. Speak to the Jews first, then the Gentiles. Okay? That's a common custom. And you're going to see Paul do that throughout the rest of this book. He always goes to the synagogue first. He always tries to address the Jews with the message of the gospel. Verse 5 again, and they had John to assist them. This is this is the man who is better known as John Mark in the Bible. He is the cousin to Barnabas. He serves as an assistant on this trip with Barnabas and Saul. We're going to later see that he actually deserts Saul and Barnabas before the end of this first missionary journey. He, he leaves a very bad taste in the mouth of Saul because he abandoned the, the ministry, and he went back to his home, and they would later reconcile uh, later in, in Saul's life and John Mark's life, and he would actually call for John Mark to come when he was in prison in Rome to minister to him. So, they, they eventually reconciled, but this was a, hey, the work of God isn't clean. And even in the Bible, relationship issues show up. You know, being in a church can be difficult because there's people here that are nothing like you. And to be quite honest, I don't really like them. You've got people who are introvert, quiet, soft-spoken. You've got others who are extrovert, loud, and boastful. And they're all on different journeys with the same Lord. And one person is spiritually here in some matter of grace. Somebody else is over here in something else. We're all in different places in the Lord. But God has brought us together as one body. You don't have to like everybody a lot in the church. You have to love everybody. Everybody. you got to be able to say, he's nothing like me. I wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with him, but he's, in, he's, he's, he's saved. And I love him, and I pray for him. You don't have to all be best friends and buddies, but you got all have to be part of the family. Isn't that how family works, too, by the way? Every family's got a weirdo. At least one. The problem the real problem is when you don't realize you're the weirdo in your family. <laughs> but the family puts up with you. They don't kick you out of the family because you're a little different or weird. They just kind of roll their eyes and keep right on going and they let you in on the family picture and you get to eat the family turkey stuffing like everybody else. Your family. That's the family God's called us to be. We don't like everybody the same, but we love everybody the same. No partiality. Amen? We already That was a sermon God gave us a few weeks back. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as... Uh, there's several ways to say this. Paphos seems to be the way, but really, Paphos is the correct pronunciation. They came up upon a certain magician, a fake Jewish prophet named Bar-Jesus... He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord. Paphos uh, is on the west coast of Cyprus. I showed it to you earlier. And it was known for its immorality. Think about that, a city known for immorality. Wow. Now, remember, we're getting closer and closer to Rome, and this is when the Roman Empire ruled. And so, you're going to see all the pagan signs of worship that come from Rome and other places, they're in these cities. And that's, this is a city that was known for that. It's here that Barnabas and Saul will face an immorality and a spiritual darkness that was common across the pagan world. Paphos, uh, or, uh, Paphos was infamous for its worship of Venus. Venus, the goddess of sexual love. That's what this city was known for, sexual love, the worship of sexual love. Uh, Athanasius, later would say that that was the religion of this city he said this quote the deification of lust the making lust a god can you imagine just the depth of immorality in this city as as a roman proconsul that would be like a like a like a governor of that region that's what a proconsul was uh, Sergius Paulus was responsible for an entire province and answered to the Roman Senate. Where the common foot soldier in Rome answered to the emperor, uh, this guy answered to the Roman Senate. So he had a whole different political positioning and his his mission was always set by the Senate. So we see the spirit of the Lord opened the first door for Saul and Barnabas on this missionary journey because, let me read it again, when they had gone through the whole island of as far as Paphos, Uh, they came upon a certain magician, a a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the governor, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. They didn't go out to him. God sent him to them because they were now hundreds of miles from home doing the Lord's work. And God begins to move. Interestingly, this is very interesting. You'll like to hear this. They have identified a, an inscription on this island with Sergius Paulus' name on it. And it literally says that he and his whole family became Christians. So here the Bible is being proven by archaeology. Verse 8, but Elymas, Elymas, the magician, now wait a minute, I thought his name was Bar-Jesus. It is, but you know what Bar-Jesus means? Son of Jesus. Luke, who wrote this, doesn't like that idea, so he doesn't call him by that name. He calls him by his Greek name. He calls him Elymas. He opposed Saul and Barnabas speaking to the proconsul. He did not want Sergius to become a Christian, so he's trying to oppose them and seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Saul is opposed by this man, Alimus, whose real name is Bar-Jesus. Uh, Just because the Holy Spirit opened the door to walk with Sergius and lead him to Saul and doesn't mean it's going to be an easy thing. When you're doing the work of the Lord, don't think it's all singing and whistling and that's all just fun and birds are sitting on my shoulder as I go down the road. And Man, it's just life is so good. No, no. As you are doing the work of the Lord, you will face trials. It will be hard. What did God say about Paul when he was saved? He said, Ananias, go and let this man know. You first of all pray for him because he, he can't see. I'm going to shoot a prey and the, the, he'll be able to see again. But this, let him know that this man will do many things for my namesake, but he's going to suffer many things for my name's sake. And here he is. Saul is suffering. But Saul, who was also called Paul, first time we see this recognition that now from here on out, it's no longer Saul, the demanded man. Now it's Saul, Paul who is little. I must decrease, he must increase as I do his work. And filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul looked intently at this man, the and he said, you, look at this now, this is a Christian who is calling out someone who is trying to hinder another from coming to God. When that situation arises, Christians can be firm and direct. Do not let anybody tell you, oh, you shouldn't say harsh things and you shouldn't judge people. You don't judge their heart because you don't know anybody's heart, but you can judge their actions. And look what it says. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Wow. This guy's trying to keep Sergius from knowing Jesus. And the Lord emboldens Paul to say, you are of the enemy. You are distracting. You're making crooked the straight way of the Lord. You're not interested in the straight way. You're trying to make it crooked. Therefore, God has told me that you're going to be blind for a season of time. And immediately it says that he could not see the sun. Wow. Wow. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. Now, stop right there. It says, it says the proconsul believed when he saw what occurred. When what occurred? A man that a miracle was given to that he became blind? Is that what it says? Nope. Look what it says. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. When the obstacle was removed that kept him from seeing and hearing, now he saw and heard the word of the Lord and the teaching of Paul, and immediately he was saved. Wow. It's not about signs and wonders that people believe today. It is about the clear, accurate teaching of the gospel with a loving heart. And God uses that and people are changed. Well, uh, I think this is a good place for us to stop today. And I was hoping to get a little further, but they're going to be heading north, back to the mainland, and uh, they're going to end up uh, in Perga, and then go north into Pisidia. And man, you think trouble's happened so far? Wait till you see what happens. Uh, Paul is about to come into a very difficult sickness and yet he does not abandon the trip. He's called to the Lord trial after trial, setback after setback, and Paul kept his nose looking forward, following the Lord, fulfilling the commission of the Lord, and people getting saved. There's something in that for us. We'll look at it next week. Father, this morning I want to thank you for every person here I want to thank you for your goodness and your love and for how you have created us to serve you, not just to sit in a pew chair, but we've been created to join you in the ministry. And Lord, the elders of this church are not here to do all the ministry. They are here to pray to love and care for this body, to nurture this body, and most importantly, to teach this body so that the body can be equipped and built up in the Lord and go out and minister in this community and edify in the church. We thank you for your plan. It is the greatest plan ever given to man on the earth. And Lord, we thank you for salvation, which only comes through Jesus Christ. I pray that today, Lord, and through this week, we will have opportunities to share Jesus with people and love them where they are and let the Holy Spirit do the saving. We pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Greet one another before you leave today. We are a fellowship, so it's important. Greet. And then we'll, we'll come back together Wednesday night at 630 if you'd like to join us. Or next Sunday morning, there's men's ministry, women's ministry occurring all through the week. God bless.